so um, I want to start by asking a question. I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever noticed that doing what's best for you is sometimes hard to do? Have you noticed that just like sometimes doing what you know is best? I mean, you just know it in your head. You know this is what's good for me, and this is what's best for me. But have you also noticed that sometimes it's, it's hard to do those things? I mean, let's, let's take a simple, like, working out. We all know that working out is good for us. We know that. You've heard the podcast. You may have read the books. You've heard people talk about it, and you've seen or heard people that are in shape that work out all the time, and they say all the good reasons you should, and you know you should, and I know we should, and all that, but then when that time rolls around, isn't it kind of hard just to do it? It's hard to get in a routine doing it. It's hard to be part of it. I mean, it takes a second. Or we do the same thing with eating well, right? I mean, you know that, hey, I should not have Big Macs every day. The science shows that that causes heart attacks. But I really like Big Macs every day, right? And, and it's, it makes sense. We know it. It's there. We understand it. But doing it is so much harder than just knowing it, isn't it? Isn't that true? It's true financially, too, when you think of living with margin, and planning and budgeting, you know that. You've heard that your whole life. Your parents may have taught it to you. You've heard people talk about it in the school systems. You heard people talk about it all the time, right? But when it comes to doing it and actually putting a budget together together and preparing it and following it, that's hard. But you know it's good for you. There's no question it's good for you. And if I talked to you, uh, you know, here um, tomorrow or at the chili cook-off today, you'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I know budgeting's good. I know it's solid. I know I should. We do the same thing when it comes to prayer or reading our Bible, just reading in general, right? We all start the year with, I'm going to read this many books, right? Maybe you start the year that way, and then by the time you get to the end of January, how many books have you read? None of you've read like maybe two pages, and it was the first and the second, and that was it, right? That doing the right thing sometimes, and it's not necessarily the morally right thing, that's hard too, but just doing what's best for you can be really hard sometimes, can't it? And in fact, we avoid it oftentimes. We, we, we don't mean to, but we're humans. So we follow the path of least resistance sometimes. We're like water in that manner. We go where it's easy if we're not careful. However, isn't it also true that some of the hardest things you've done are some of the things you are the most proud of and were the most beneficial for you in your life? I mean, isn't it true that when you decided to take that diet and start working out and you lost the weight, I mean, didn't you feel amazing? It was hard, it was difficult, but it was amazing. Or maybe when you finally quit that other job and started the job, your dream job, the one you wanted and it was scary and you didn't know if it was gonna work, but you did it and you're so thankful that you did it. Maybe, maybe it's just you finally had that hard conversation. And it's hard, and you don't want to have it, and you're avoiding it all the time, and you don't want to talk to your coworker about it. It's just something you don't want to do. But you finally engaged with it. You finally went and did it. And in doing so, the workplace is better. Maybe you finally decided to go to marriage counseling. You finally decided to get the, your marriage the help that it needed. And you've made that decision, and now you look back on it, and you go, man, that was a game changer when we did that. It was so amazing, and it was so hard, and it was so difficult, and there were so many issues we had, but man, we were able to work through it, and it was a hard time in our life, and it was a hard thing to do, but I'm so grateful that we did it. And the one that maybe we don't think about all the time, but when you say yes to God's call on your life, when you finally say yes to what God has been talking to you about for perhaps years. And when you finally say yes, it may be hard just because you're following God's calling does not mean it's going to be easy. 
Let me just go ahead and tell you that right now. Just because you follow God's calling does not mean that it's going to be easy. But you look back on it and you say, man, that was so great. I'm so thankful that I made that decision. It was difficult, it was hard, but it was so, so beneficial to me and to my family. Most often, most often, most often, when we choose to do something difficult, when we make that decision to do something difficult, the result of that is often good for us. It's good for us, and it's difficult. Sure, it's hard, push, press into it, go through it, but it is hard. And what if I told you that there was something that could do some amazing things for your life? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But what if I told you that there's something you can do to release toxic emotions? What if I told you there was something you could do to reduce physical pain? Or what if I told you there was something you could do that would improve your sleep quality? What if I told you there was something you could do that would aid in your stress? What about if I told you that you could reduce anxiety and depression if you just did this one thing, and it's going to be difficult, okay? It's going to be difficult. But wouldn't you be interested in that? In fact, if you'd be interested in that, say, I'm interested. Okay, for a second I thought, nobody's interested in closing prayer, and then we'll go home, right? No, you guys don't get off that easy. So here it is. This, is. this is what it is. And again, this is going to be hard, and we're going to talk about this for this week and next week, okay? And it is going to be difficult, so I'm telling you that completely up front. I just want to be honest with you, okay, so that you understand. I mean, Jesus called us to make disciples, not make believers, okay? So we want to be disciples, which means we got to do some hard things sometimes. But here's what can do all five of those things. Be thankful. Be thankful. Now, you may say, wait a second, Brandon, that doesn't make any sense. Well, hold on, I'm actually going to give you how these things work and, and the mechanisms that happen. Gratitude actually releases toxic emotions because in 2018, they did a study with two groups of people. One group kept a thankfulness or a gratitude journal where every day they would take just a few minutes. They would only take anywhere from two to five minutes and they would write down things they were thankful for. And they didn't have to be spiritual or anything else. This was just some experiment they did with people that were struggling with toxic emotions, and they were working with counselors. And they wrote down things they were thankful for. On the opposite end of the spectrum, they had another group of individuals working with the same group of counselors, same setting. They did not write things that they were thankful for. In fact, what they did is they just wrote things that didn't go well that day. Not necessarily always neg negative things, but things that just didn't go well, maybe some negative thoughts. And what they found was the people who journaled about gratitude, when they journaled about gratitude, when they would have their, counsel their counseling sessions following that, they recovered emotionally far sooner, and the other group didn't. They were able to recover emotionally quickly because they felt like that by the time they got to a place where they were going to talk about it, they had already unpacked some of the pieces of it. They changed and shifted their attitude. Gratitude also reduces physical pain. And in 2003, they did a study with uh, the blessings, and it's called the Counting Blessings and Counting Burdens 
uh, study. And what they did in 2003 is they did the same thing, followed up with a thankfulness journal and went through all of that. And as they went through all of that, they were testing people who would go through physical pain or go through physical therapy in order to get back to normal. And they were using individuals that had been injured. What they found is that people who kept a thankfulness journal or just a practice of gratitude every day, they actually recovered faster. And they were more willing, they were more willing to step into more difficult training and more difficult physical therapy to get better sooner. And they had a better positive outlook on life versus the other group that didn't do anything like that at all. They just showed up and went through the motions. In fact, they said so much as 16% more recovery. And uh, gratitude also improves sleep quality. Because when your brain is filled with positive emotions, studies show when your brain is full of positive emotions, things you're thankful for, and you have a gratitude practice during the day, your brain can actually go to rest sooner and stay rest longer. Also, it aids in stress reduction, because in 2004, they did another study. And in this study, they found out that they did something very, very similar to what they did before. They had people appreciate certain things of their life, or they would reflect and appreciate certain things of their life. And they found a marked reduction in the cortisol hormone, which is, those of you that know anything about that, it's the stress hormone. And so what they found is when somebody had a gratitude practice, their level of cortisone or cortisol went down. And as the level of cortisol went down, they actually had increased cardiovascular functioning because the stress hormone was lower in their body compared to the control group. And then reducing anxiety and depression connected to what we just talked about. When you reduce that hormone, it also increases the release of dopamine and serotonin. Not only that, at the neurochemical level, Feelings of gratitude actually shut down the part of your brain, the, the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for managing some of the things like guilt, shame, and acts of violence. People that act out are more likely to do that in the prefrontal cortex. And what they found is that when somebody has a, 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 a practical application of gratitude, they practice gratitude often, those individuals, it actually shuts down that part of the brain, starts to slow that part of the brain to where the negative emotions move much slower and affect you far, far less. So if you're anything like me, when I started doing this research months ago for this, I was blown away at the benefits that I didn't even know existed for thankfulness. And then if you do any research, you can find there's actually many, many more. And what it does is it shifts your attitude. It shifts the way you think. It shifts the way you view the world. It shifts the way you behave. It begins to, this is not an exaggeration, it will begin to maybe even shift the way you behave from start to finish if you have an attitude of gratitude. And believe it or not, believe it or not, if you don't do that, you think on the negative things often. You spend more time thinking about what's bad than what's good in your life. You don't spend much time being thankful for things. That will actually cause you more harm than good. But again, it's not going to be easy. Okay, this is not an easy practice. Many of you guys hear this and go, oh, this is going to be so easy. All I got to do is say, thanks, Jesus. It's not that easy. It's not that easy at all. It's actually going to take more things. It's going to take a practice that you got to set in place. But as we're going to find out that 
the question of how can we become more thankful people because I would hope that's what we're all thinking in this room now. It's like, man, I want all of those benefits. These look amazing. I would love to have all of those things. In fact, I would just take one of those things, right? Not even all five, but gratitude practices will give you all five, but I'm happy if I just get better sleep. Somebody say amen, right? If you have kids, you're never getting better sleep. Not till they're like 15, okay? Just trying to get that in your head. But you can get the other four if you got kids, right? So the thing is, is the question becomes, how do we become more thankful people? How does that happen? How does that work? Because we sit and think like, oh, I just got to say thank you. But that's not really changing the positioning of your heart. That's really just going through the motions. So how do we become more thankful people? Lucky for us, the Apostle Paul gives us three separate instructions about being thankful. At the very end of his, of his letter to the church in Thessalonica, he, he lists three specific instructions. And as he lists these instructions, many times people think they're disconnected or think they're not building upon one another or influencing one another, but I'm going to make the argument they actually are, and when we get there, you'll see why. This is at the end of his letter, so this is his, hey, if you don't remember anything else I've taught you, if you don't remember anything else I wrote, you don't pay attention to anything else that's going on, pay attention to these three things. Do these three things and you will be benefited. So, Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, at first glance, these seem totally unrelated, but the truth is the three of these are directly connected. And I want to start where everybody reads it and they push back right away. And it's actually in the last part where it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To which all of us sit around, and I I know because I've done the same thing. You say, hold on, Paul. All circumstances? Paul, how can you say that? How can you say that? You don't even know my circumstances, Paul. I mean, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what it's like to to lead this business. You have no idea what it's like to raise these kids. You have no idea, Paul, what it's like to work with the boss that I'm working with. Paul, you have no idea what it's like to get a bad doctor report the way that I have. Paul, you have no idea what it's like to be married to him or to be married to her. Paul, you don't know what my life is like. So, Paul, you have no right, because this is where we sit in our culture most of the time, you have no right to tell me that I ought to be thankful in all circumstances. And if all you had was the text, then you may be justified in feeling that way. But you don't. You have the background of Paul and the background of the church. And I think Paul would listen to us, and as we pushed back on him when he said, give thanks in all circumstances, I think we would push back against it. I think he would look at us. I think he would listen. I think he would smirk. I think he would say, I hear you. But I wrote this to the church in Thessalonica, a church at which I had been chased out of by an angry mob, and I was lucky, me and Silas were lucky to make it out with our lives. I think he would look at us and say, and then the church that was there, they were lucky they survived the Jewish Jewish persecution. Because here's what we don't know, what we fail to realize. Paul was preaching the gospel inside of Thessalonica, which there were Jews inside of Thessalonica. They did not like this gospel. Because what Paul was saying was the Messiah came for everybody. 
And the Jews were like, that's not true. The Messiah came only for the Jewish people. And, and Paul's like, that's, that's not it. We've already had this conversation. Me and Peter worked it out. We went to the council in Jerusalem. Like, we figured this out. So, um, no, the gospel is actually for everybody. And then they look around and they go, no, Paul, you're, you're done talking. And they tried to kill him and tried to kill Silas. But that didn't stop the church from growing in Thessalonica. In fact, the church was mostly a Gentile church, non-Jewish church. So let me just ask you a question. It's not a trick question. How do you think the city appreciated the church that Paul planted if they chased Paul and Silas out of the city with pitchforks and torches? Do you think they were accepting of that church? Do you think that church went through some hardships? Do you think that church may have been persecuted? Do you think that church may have had some major, major problems along the way? And Paul knows that. He's been there. And as he's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, he knows their circumstances. In fact, they're being persecuted by the same people he did, or he was by. And he sits and writes this letter. I mean, can you imagine the audacity? Paul knows that they're worshiping and hiding. Paul knows that they're fearful of their life. Paul knows that their families are at risk. He knows that their lives are at risk. And Paul writes, give thanks in all circumstances. To which we read that and we go, how insensitive. How, how could you, Paul? But I think he unlocked something. This is why God spoke these words through him. And again, I think that if we end here, if we stop right here and I just say, give thanks in all circumstances in Jesus' name, amen, let's have some chili. If I said that right now, then it would be incomplete. You would go home and you would be like, okay, pastor told me I need to stop being a big baby, right? Like, that's how you would feel. Be like, I just got to suck it up and deal with it, buttercup, right? When we read that, that's how we feel when we get through that. That's how I read it. I read it that way for like three years. I was like, give thanks in all circumstances. I just got to suck it up, man. But that's not, that's, that's incomplete. It's incomplete. Sometimes you got to suck it up. I'm not giving you a pass to not suck it up. Sometimes you need to. But the Apostle Paul actually includes two other instructions right in front of it. And I've noticed something reading the scriptures is that ordering is important. Ordering is important sometimes. And the way Paul distinctly puts these words and phrases together, it's for a reason. So let's look at the first one. Paul says, before he says to give thanks in all circumstances, he opens the comment with rejoice always. Rejoice always. And all of us standing around go, that ain't any better, Paul. What do you mean rejoice always? You want me to give thanks in all circumstances, and then you want, you want me to rejoice always? The root word is joy. Okay, now I want to I point something out. Joy does not equal happiness. Sometimes people think that joy and happiness are the same thing. They're not the same thing. See, happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on your attitude. It's important. That's why you've heard me say around here, you have to choose joy. It's a decision that you have to make. And you can make other decisions. You can choose anger, frustration, 
You can choose other feelings. You can allow other feelings and other attitudes to take hold of your life and control you. You can do that. You absolutely can. But you will not be thankful in all circumstances. And it's going to be, you can still be a Jesus follower and give your life over to all the unhealthy emotions and unhealthy responses, but you're going to lose the power of God in your life when you do that. He says, rejoice always. I, I've, I had somebody who did this in my life, and I'm blown away every time I think about her and talk about her. It was my great aunt Charlotte. You guys have probably heard me talk about her a lot. She was a senior saint. Like, she was just... She was like, when you think of sanctified or holy individuals, that's her. She was that way. She was never married. She was never married. And she was not bitter about it either. And she, she lived her whole life pretty much alone. She never got married. And when we would talk to her about it, most, a lot of people, honestly, would be really bitter about that. Right? I mean, some of us would be really bitter. Maybe not that you're married now, but we're not going to talk about that in here. We'll talk about that in a counseling session. But many people would be frustrated that they did, you know, that they're not married, especially by the time they get to her age. And she was 82, 84 by the time she passed away. She wasn't married. She was just always joyous. So her joy did not depend on somebody else. Somebody say amen. Your husband's not responsible for your joy. Your wife is not responsible for your joy. They can benefit it, absolutely. They can help you achieve it for sure. But joy comes from within you, not from around you. Happiness comes from around you. Not only that, she had cancer. She had stage four colon cancer where they removed the majority of her colon to where she had to wear one of those colostomy bags. And this was in 1991, so they didn't have the fancy stuff that they had now. What they had was just one of those legit, looked like they put a Ziploc bag attached to her skin right next to her, uh, on her hip. And she would have to walk around, remember, no husband, lived alone, took care of her mother till her mother was almost 90 years old. She didn't, do, didn't have any help at all. Took care of herself, took care of all of it. Always joyful. Every day. And I never, saw her, I never saw her down on her luck. Then, as she got her older age, she had a stroke around the age of 80. And then you would think, by then, she's got to be getting tired of, of this. She's, she's going to be running out of joy. And the first conversation I had with her afterwards, is she said, I said, how are you doing, Aunt Charlotte? She said, oh, honey, I'm blessed. Hold on a second. You, you're not married. You, 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 just, you had cancer. You have a stroke. And your response is, I'm blessed? Now, many of us would not respond that way. And then when I began to talk about her, and this is the most amazing part, she wasn't interested in talking about her circumstances. She wanted to hear about me and my marriage and my kids. Like, she wanted to pour into me. And then as she got older, all of her friends around her started to pass away. And every time, how are you doing, Aunt Charlotte? I'm blessed, honey. I'm blessed. How are you and your kids doing? How are you and your family doing? We'd love to see you. Can't wait to see you again. And her attitude and her disposition was one of constant joy. Constant joy. Anytime you could ask her, and Charlotte, what are you thankful for? Boy, she had a list. But anytime you'd approach her and you'd say, what can I pray for you for? She would have maybe one thing, maybe two. And most of the time, it was for other people, I noticed. Because that's, she just lived that rejoicing, always life. That's why you've heard me say, you have to choose joy. 
a decision you have to make. And again, I didn't say this was going to be easy. I gave you up front, it's not going to be easy. But again, sometimes some of the best things you can do for yourself, mentally, physically, and emotionally, and even spiritually, is something that is difficult. You have to choose joy. So the apostle says, rejoice always, is the first instruction he gives us. The second instruction he gives us is pray continually. And now some of you get the vision of a monk doing this and just kind of swaying back and forth and praying all the time. That's not what he means, okay? The Apostle Paul did three missionary journeys all across the Mediterranean. He did not do that, okay? He was very busy and did lots of things. So please do not tell me I'm a busy man, I'm a busy woman. You plant over 50 churches yet? Wrote three-fourths of the New Testament? No? You got time for prayer. Lucky you, right? Okay. So, that wasn't even in my notes. You're welcome. That was above and beyond. (laughs) So, you hear that and we go, man, that's such a church answer, Brandon. Come on, pray continually. How are you going to slip prayer in all the time when we're talking about things? Well, I'll tell you why, and here's why the apostle talks about it, but particularly in our context. I think the American church today has lost its ability to pray. It's lost the power of prayer because we've reduced prayer into a vending machine interaction with God. I want to show up, God. I want to hit the buttons. I want you to give me what you want. Not only that, we've also turned it into a spiritual 911 call. I only talk to God when my kids are in trouble. I only talk to God when I'm, when I, when I'm worried about finances. I only talk to God when I'm worried about how I'm going to feed my family. I only talk to God when I'm worried about the job that I'm after. I'm only talking to God when things are bad. And when we do that and we create, we basically create uh, Prayer is a spiritual 911 line. We have zapped it of its true power. Prayer is not meant to be a last resort, although we hear that all the time, don't we? All we can do now is pray. I guess that's it. That's all we can do. We just pray. Like, no, it should be, now we get to pray. That's the response, but instead, the American church today feels like, and if any of you have been on any missionary journeys in other areas of the world, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen this. They gather around, and they pray the paint off the walls in some of these joints. In the American church, we get, we get like, oh, I, can't, I can't make prayer meeting on Wednesday. I can't do it. Ever? No, I can't do it. And the apostle sits and says, no, it's so important that you should do it continually. Not when it's just convenient, not when you have time, not like you need to make time for it. It's so important that you should do it continually. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. It's because sometimes prayer is not meant to change it, whatever it is. Sometimes prayer is meant to change you. And when we reduce it to, God, I want, God, I want, God, I want, and he doesn't deliver on what you want, then all of a sudden God's not real, he doesn't have the power, or maybe he doesn't love me. But that's not the point of prayer. Jesus, the Son of God, the God in a body walking on the earth, sits back and looks at his Father at the Garden of Gethsemane and says, if it's your will, let this cup pass. Meaning, I do not want to be crucified to a tree. I do not want to hang here for all of creation. I will, but I don't want to. And I'm so thankful he didn't have the faith of the American church today. Because he would have quit right there. He would have said, nah, this ain't it. I'm going to go turn more water into wine, and we're going to get turned up. 
right? But he didn't say that. That's not how he responded. He said, no, 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 not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Because as it comes to us, believers, sometimes it's not meant to change it. Sometimes it's meant to change you. Sometimes it's meant to change me. Sometimes prayers, the, t- the place where you go and you just let God do a little bit of heart work on you. Sometimes it's the place that you go and you, are, you submit yourself to the things that he has for you in your life. Sometimes it's the place that you go and you can be frustrated, you can be angry with him, it's a place for that. But it's also a place where he can start to shape you to look more like him. That's the point of prayer. And don't hear it like, oh man, you gotta pray consistently all the time. Like I just gotta be praying every minute. What he means is make it a consistent habit. Make it a consistent habit. Make it a consistent habit. You don't have to do, this is the way I do it. I do a prayer in the morning, but I don't stop then. Right? I don't stop then. I say a prayer before I do all sorts of things. I say prayers before I go when I when I go into meetings. I say prayers before I've been handling all this stuff with the building. I'll say a prayer before I go in and start the meeting there. I'll say a prayer over my food in the morning and in the afternoon. Like it's it's important to just make it part of of your day. Make it part of your everyday. Don't make it some crazy unattainable thing. I got to go into a closet and pray for an hour and then I got to bind up the devil and then I got to claim things in Jesus' name. It's not like that. It doesn't have to be. It can be if you want to be one of that. Hey, have some fun. Don't let me stop you. But if that's intimidating and you don't know where to go, just start with a little bit. Just start with a little bit. Paul, when we put all these together, we can see what he's doing. He says, rejoice always, choosing joy. Pray continually. And then once you've done those two things, when you're choosing joy and connected with your heavenly Father in prayer, then you can give thanks in all circumstances. It's at that point that that ability is possible. He says that you have to choose joy and you should pray. He knew what we fail to realize sometimes, that gratitude starts with your attitude, and that's what praying and rejoicing will do. It'll change and shift your attitude. It puts your heart in a position to be thankful, to be thankful in all circumstances. So I'm going to make things easy on you. You want me to make things easy on you? Say, I want it easy, Pastor. Yeah, we want it easy. I'll make it easy for you. This is Wendy's. Have it your way, right? Burger King, McDonald's, whatever. See, that's how much I don't go to those places. Maybe I need to start going more. Um, this is, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to make it very simple. I want you to combine these two things together. I want you to implement a daily, we're going to put them all together. I want you to implement a daily, gratitude, a, a daily prayer and gratitude practice. It can be two minutes. The one thing that's helped me over the past year is I write my prayers down because I have ADHD, y'all. I will look at a butterfly out the window longer than I can pray in one position if I'm not careful, Okay. So I need to do something to keep my attention focused. So I started writing them down. Pastor Brad taught me that because he, he struggled with it too. And I started writing it down. If it's, if it's that, then do that. Sit down, write it down, do something. 
Do something. Just do something consistently. Do it consistently. Pray continually. Not pray sometimes. Not pray when I get up early enough. Not pray when my schedule works out just perfect to where I can just fit it in there, right? Pray all the time. Pray continually. And this is how I want you to start your prayer and make it very simple. It could be two minutes long. If you don't have a prayer practice, it's okay. Just start one tomorrow. Start one this afternoon. doesn't matter. Set a time and start it. And this is all you have to do is I want you to start your prayer with thanks. I want you to choose one thing and just try it for a week. Just try it for a week. I, I challenge you. Just try it for a week where you start your prayer time, not with God I need, God I want, God please, come on, Lord, you know what I want. I don't want you to start it that way. I want you to start it with something you're thankful for. Lord, I'm so thankful for my wife. Lord, I'm so thankful for my husband. Lord, I'm so thankful for my relationship with my kids. I'm so thankful for the job that you've given me. I'm thankful for the way that you've healed my marriage. I'm thankful for the way that you've guided me leading this organization. God, I'm thankful for the way that you've been making yourself real in my life. Doesn't have to be much. Just start with something. And then if you're real bold, do it before you go to bed too. Real quick, just something small. Lord, I am thankful for. I am thankful for. I am thankful for. Now stay with me just a second. Don't you think, don't you think that, you're, that, that you would be happier if you slowed down and reflected on all the different things that God has done for you? I mean, don't you think your life would be a little bit easier if you slowed down and just took an inventory of some of the things to be thankful for? Because again, it shows you the places that God is moving in your life. Aren't there people that you know where you're like, man, they need to sit down and do a thankfulness inventory, and they just need to inventory all the things God has given them. They complain all the time. They're not appreciative of anything. They need to sit down and do that. Let me ask you this. Don't you think it would give you a more wise perspective on life if you were able to sit down and think through things like that and be a little bit more thankful? Don't you think people would just be happier if they slowed down for a second and remembered what they were thankful for and truly appreciative of? I would argue that they would. So, I've got three questions to keep the conversation going. And we're going to put these up now, but we're going to put them up after the service also where you guys can see them. I want you to continue the conversation. Because it's not enough just to do it in here. You can be thankful as all get out for your wife or your husband or whatever in here. And you can be in here, I am starting a prayer habit. And then get out of here and not do that. So I encourage you, Take pictures, write it down, do something, and continue the conversation after we leave here and be the church outside of these walls. So with that, I would love to pray for you guys. Father, this is one of those messages that's just difficult sometimes. We know the benefits of it. We know how important it is to be thankful. We recognize how significant and beneficial it is but Heavenly Father is hard sometimes it's hard sometimes especially in our 
the negative culture that we live in or the negative swirl of stories and then we sit around the water cooler at work and people are complaining about one thing or another. It's easy to get sucked down and drawn into that unhealthy practice. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would renew a spirit of thankfulness in us, a spirit of gratitude, that we would desire, as your apostle wrote, to give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, that we would put in a practice and make decisions to choose joy and to make connection with you daily so that we truly can be that thankful. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather and we're grateful for your love. Thank you so much, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.